All right, you're in for a treat today. Just wrapped up a conversation with Mike Thornburg, president of Emblemax in Chantilly, Virginia. We had a great conversation about what it means to hustle as an entrepreneur and how Mike has learned to scale his business. You are also going to love to hear his encounter with the Houston Police Department regarding a UPS shipment that got hung up at a center. So hope you enjoy listening as much as we enjoyed having this conversation with Mike Thornburg. So uh, welcome to uh, another episode of the Go With John Show. Today, I'm sitting down with uh, Mike Thornburg. So do I call you Mike or Michael? Mike, yeah, Mike, either one. I've always called you Mike. Yeah. But I've learned from doing this that, that I've actually um, been mispronouncing some people's names that I've known for 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> and then we sit down. So uh, Mike, so you bought my company that I used to own, Marketing Mania, and you own a company called Emblemax. Tell us a little bit about how how did you get into, you're an entrepreneur, I'm an entrepreneur. You and I have known each other now since, uh, when was it, 2004-ish? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, so we've known each other for quite a while and we've continued to work together on some projects. And uh, But how did you get into the promotional products industry at Emblemax? Well, so the, uh, the journey for me sort of, kind of took a lot of different turns and paths. I'm from Adelphi, Maryland, a small town in PG County. Grew up there. Uh, and I, um, I, uh, my, my dad had a sporting goods shop. It, right. They sold screen, uh, screen printing, embroidery, uh, goods to teams, high schools, clubs. He was a, he's a small, he's a small partner in a, in a, in a sporting goods shop, I should mm-hmm. say. And that's kind of where I was babysat as a kid when I was five, six, seven, eight, ten 10 years old. I go to the sporting goods shop uh, and during the summers and didn't have a babysitter and that's where I was babysat, my brother and I. And I learned how to screen print and embroider and I just got, you're sitting around there. So my dad would give me like five bucks for the work right. all day, catching yeah. shirts or, and eventually I learned how to run the embroidery machines and screen printing machines and it was kind of fascinating. Yeah. They so what do you mean catching shirts? What does that mean? Uh, so when you're screen printing t-shirts, you you put the ink on them, you run them through a dryer, right. which cures the, the ink on the shirts. And then at the end of it, somebody has to catch the, the t-shirt. Take the shirt off the dryer. Kind of like, yeah, kind of like a pizza conveyor belt when the pizzas come off. Somebody's yeah. got to catch the pizza and put it in a box. Yeah. So I'd catch the shirts and box them up and put them away or run errands for other salespeople at the place. So it was um, it was very, I didn't realize at the time, but I was sort of learning a, a skill, a trade skill. Yeah. And um, uh, my dad didn't go to college and I sort of just, it was, it was kind of what he did. I learned that skill there. Mm-hmm. I, um, we, I, um, we, we did, we actually, it was kind of, it's, it was pretty exciting because Marlowe's, the name of the company was Marlowe Sports. They've since been sold. But um, they did uh, uniforms for the Washington Redskins, the Wizards, mm-hmm. or it was Bullets back then, the Capitals. Yeah. Um, um, so high school, college, uh, professional teams. So it was very exciting. I'd go to Redskin Park and deliver, I guess, Washington Football Team Park now or wherever. Yeah. <laughs> but but, uh, but I'd go to the, the park there and see the equipment managers, and we'd constantly be running over uniforms. Back then, the, the Redskins or the Washington Football Team would send uh, fans over to the, our company to make them uniforms. If they wanted a Dave Butts jersey, they'd come over to Marlowe and – We'd print a Dave Butts jersey. You know, Russell was sporting goods. Was, did all the uniforms, and we'd print them and we'd send them over to them. And and um, they, you know, fans would come in the shop to get Redskin jerseys. Now awesome. licensing and, and it's changed yeah. a lot. That was years ago. Right. That was this is like in the in the eighties. Um, so, but I learned a skill there. I eventually went on to uh, uh, went to Eleanor Roosevelt High School in, in Greenbelt, Maryland, and yeah. and there was a lot of famous people that graduated from that school. Um, and then went to University of Maryland where I met my wife. Yeah. Uh, I graduated from there. And actually, my first job was like literally right across the street here at Northwestern Mutual in Old Dominion. Nice. So I spent a lot of time in this like vicinity right where we are today. Right. So today we're actually recording in the Long and Foster office in McLean, Virginia. So a lot of people have been asking me, where are you doing your recording? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, all over the place. Well, can you tell us? <laughs> so thanks for yeah. Uh, yeah, for yeah, getting yeah. that in. Yeah. So so we are, we're in McLean. So you started across the street. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I, and I sold life insurance and disability and uh, financial instruments to, uh-huh. to people, individuals. Uh, my focus was on doctors and lawyers. I sold them... Uh, disability insurance, life insurance, and, and work with their investments with right. Northwestern. It was a great experience. I did that for a couple of years. Um, I spent a lot of time in the local area here. I mm-hmm. 
bought my uh, engagement ring from Diamond Creations, which is right around the corner here. <laughs> I was a young, like 24, 25 year old, and I knew nothing. And, right. and, the, and the gentleman over there who owns that, Harry Siev, kind of taught me like about diamonds and rings and all this yeah. stuff you, we don't know anything about as, as younger yeah. kids. Um, so I, I, have, I have a fond memories of this like area. This is sort of where like I started everything. Excellent. Um, my father passed away uh, in, two, in 95 when I was working mm -hmm. over there. I spent a lot of, uh, every single day I'd go to George, Georgetown uh, Hospital in the, in the Lombardi Clinic to see him. He was there right. for like six months. But he passed away and I got tired of telling people they're gonna die and become disabled. So I, right. I just lost all my mojo. Yeah. Like I, I just, it was just, it came to like, so I left that uh, Northwestern and I went to work at the sporting goods shop where my dad was a small partner involved in. Yeah. He had passed away, my mom was doing the accounting. So I went to go there just to sort of keep her company. I uh, worked there at Marlowe Sports for ooh, probably six or seven years, but I worked there whole my, my whole life before right. that during right. the summers. Um, and then I moved to Alexandria, Virginia um, to handle that territory, selling to clubs, high schools, colleges, mm -hmm. professional teams, like their uniforms and sports. And then one day I got stuck on the Wilson Bridge driving home. Um, it was, it was uh, in 19, I want to say it was 1999. Mm -hmm. I was driving to, uh, funny, you are from Vienna. Yeah. I was driving to Vienna for their select basketball team travel uniforms. They didn't, we did uniforms. Um, right. it, was the, um, it was the day after Thanksgiving on a Friday. I was um, the, the uh, president of Vienna at the time, had ordered uniforms from somebody else. They didn't come in. He called me four days before they had these select teams, 160 kids. Mm -hmm. They had tournaments over the uh, Thanksgiving weekend. And he called me four days before. He's like, hey, can you bail me out? My other provider didn't come through. So right. I had to get uniforms in, print them myself. We were, we were, Marlo was closed on that Friday. Yeah. I had to come in the morning. I got there at 6 a.m. and printed them till midnight. I ran to Vienna from, uh, Marlo Sports was in, in Forestville, Maryland. I ran from Forestville to Vienna in the middle of the night. Cell phones were just coming in. I had a split <laughs> spectrum in my hand. My phone was burning like off the hook. Yeah. Where are you? Where are you? I'm like, I'm trying, man. I'm doing the best I can. I'm trying to make a miracle for you here, but just, just work with me. Yeah. And I, I get over there and I get to the Wilson Bridge at 1158, 59, and the drawbridge goes up. Oh. The Robinson Terminal, the, uh, the, the newspapers from Washington Post were coming through. Oh my gosh. And I'm first in line at the gate and I'm banging to like the little guard the gate that came down. Yeah. And I just said to myself, God, I just finished crushing myself all day. My cell phone keeps ringing. Right. All these coaches are upset. It's, a, it's, it's midnight on a Friday night. They have games the next day. They don't have uniforms. They're at this guy's house waiting for me. Yeah. And it's not my fault. I, I'm, I'm thinking I'm the hero. I should have yeah. just said no. <laughs> and I'm just like, that's when I just, I, I, I couldn't take anymore. I said, if I'm going to like print all this stuff, do all this, I'm going to, I'm going to do it for myself. Right. And so, but I don't want to compete with, uh, I eventually get there, deliver the uniforms. Yeah. I think he, he might have, all the coaches were mad at me. So I'm thinking he must not have told them that I, I kind of bailed him out here. But either yeah. way, I delivered the uniforms. They got and you them. took the bullet too. I took the bullet. Yeah. But that Monday morning following that, I went into my office and I told the, the main majority partners of the company who I respect and love them dearly. I said, I'm giving you my six month notice where I'm leaving yeah. um, to go into business for myself. I'm, I'm not going to go into the team sporting goods. Yeah. I'm going to go into the corporate market, right. doing something totally different, like similar. And that's when I, uh, I left that business to, to, to start my first business in 99. Nice. Which I, uh, I, I had a partner in that business. Um, started out of my house. Right. We grew it, started adding the capacity of screen printing embroidery in-house, a facility yep. in Alexandria. Did you did you start screen printing in your house, in your garage? Uh, I didn't. Or? I started, I, I, uh, actually, I I, uh, I insulated the whole garage and had plans to do it. It wasn't yeah. zoned for embroidery machines right. and screen printing. <laughs> but, you know, when when you're hustling, I mean, as, yeah. a, as, a, as a kid, I had paper routes and, and, uh, and um, uh, landscaping business I started when I was 14. Yeah. And so when you're hustling, you just find a way, right? Yeah. Um, I knew a lot about the screen printing embroidering. I started outsourcing it, and I wasn't happy with the vendors that I was using because uh, you know, because it, it, I, I felt that I knew more about it, the screen printing embroidery than they did. That'd get, right. I'd have in the early days, I'd, we'd have issues on uh, companies not our, our suppliers that are doing the printing for us. Our contractors aren't yeah. weren't coming through and giving us excuses. And yeah. 
I well, knew you didn't. You couldn't control the timeline. No, right, no. right. So you couldn't tell them, "Hey, you just work an extra couple hours or, tonight." Or I to say, get it done. Let, yeah. "Let me in. Let me. I'll print all my other stuff in your facility for yeah. you. Then, like, yeah. I could do that." And right. So, really, it's, it's very difficult. So, bringing it in house was is extremely important yeah. to me because um, when you're when you're hustling, you just want to be able to control everything. Yeah, and and, that's and it's and yeah. it's hard. And I think most folks don't know. And and I mean, you and I have a lot in common. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, from a, from a business ownership perspective, because I started my marketing company in 1997, mm-hmm. and I didn't have experience uh, screen printing. But I said to myself, "How hard can it be? It's actually mm-hmm. a lot harder than you think." <laughs> well, you did a pretty good job. <laughs> I was at your facility a number of times, and uh, you did yeah. a pretty good job. Yeah. Well, that was you. You didn't. Uh, I don't think I. I didn't meet you until 2004-ish, yeah. maybe 2003. Actually, that's not true, because how I met you, or I met I met uh, Joe mm-hmm. in your in your uh, company in 1997 when I started Marketing Mania. I didn't have any money, mm-hmm. and and it and it's really was a huge turning point in my life. And so I didn't have any money for marketing. And I had I started this company, Marketing Mania, out of my house just like you did. And I was all by myself. I didn't have any anybody at all helping me. And I uh, I went out and just started door knocking. And I went and back then I think it was a lot easier to to, to solicit in office buildings, but I went around Tyson's Corner, I went around Herndon, I was walking every day, every single day I went out. And I, I went through so much shoe leather. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a pair of Johnson & Murphy wingtips and I wore <laughs> them out and I got them resold and resold and resold. And uh, then the guy that was doing my shoes says, this is the last time I can't resole them again. You gotta get another <laughs> pair. So I got a new pair and wore them out. Now yeah. all this happened over you know two or three years. Uh, but, I, but I actually cold called uh, uh, on your company to try to sell you what you do. <laughs> so I walked in and I was talking to Joe and he was standing there, really nice guy. Mm-hmm. He's not saying anything and I'm telling him what I'm doing and all that. And uh, he pretty much said, you know, that's good, John, but that's what we do. <laughs> so uh, uh, Joe, Joe brought me in and showed me his, uh, the facility and, uh-huh. uh, and, and I actually started doing business with you guys. We yeah, actually, yeah, yeah. so, so, uh, it, it's really amazing, um, you know, how everything played out and you eventually ended up buying my company. So it's just yeah, really, yeah. um, amazing that I met, uh, you guys, w- what was the name of your company originally? Was it, it wasn't Emblemax at the time, was it? It oh, was, uh, so that was j- j- it was, uh, Jam Graphics. Jam Graphics. Yeah. yeah. So I left my, I, I left my, the, the, the business I founded, I used Jam Graphics created this software called Shopworks. It's used by 600 other companies in our industry to run right. their production facilities. So it's really, um, it was really awesome stuff back then. And so I left my old company. We had used their software. When I first started, I, I, I went to Jam Graphics and they had this software called Soft Shopworks, sorry. Right. And I purchased it for our my old first company. I used it. And I'd met Joe and another guy, Jay, that owned uh, Jam Graphics back yeah. then. When I sold my business in 2003, um, I came to uh, Jam Graphics. I was gonna I was gonna start another one, similar business, and yeah. start from scratch and do the same thing all over again after I sold my other business. And um, they said, "Would you like to buy this business?" And I created a company called Emblemax. And I yeah. said, "Well, um, and I don't know." And I talked to Joe, and Joe said, uh, "What do you?" Um, what are your guys' plans? And Jay, the owner of Jam Graphics, well, the software side of the business is just exploding. So yeah. I'm going to dedicate full time to that. I've been doing it anyway. It's just it's just time because, um, you know, software is obviously a little more yeah. uh, lucrative uh, as far as margins go than, than many other industries. Right. So, uh, and I said, Joe, what are you going to do? And he, and he goes, well, I'm going to go into real estate. <laughs> Oddly <laughs> enough. And I was like, well, real estate. And I said, well, um, well, I don't know a ton about this business, but I do know you, Joe. And Joe's a, an incredible guy. He's, yeah. He just knows a lot about the industry, knows more about screen printing boarding than I do. And right. I don't meet many of those people in our yeah. industry. And I said, well, I, I will purchase this company so I don't have to start over from scratch yeah. and building facilities, but only if you stay. Yeah. And so I convinced him to forego his real estate career and uh, stay and then that was um gosh 18 years ago in 2003 and he's he, he's amazing and i yeah. um i added a, another a partner to our business got him kevin cone from my my former company yeah. um uh, so he and we have we have some incredible people there and so uh in 2006 i guess um, you've been doing contract work with for a couple of years and and um, i always admired how you ran your business i guess you came from a different 
uh, perspective, I grew up screen printing and throwing ink on shirts all day, whereas you, um, this was new to you, so you learned it from a different angle. And you were much more into the strategic marketing and, and, and sales part of the side of the business. Right. Whereas I think I get caught up sometimes in the making sure we get the production done, which hinders your sales and marketing efforts. Yeah. Well, it's it's really tough when you're a small company yeah. and you're, you, you know, because I, I was doing all the sales for my mm-hmm. organization. So I would go out and sell, 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 sell. And then the guys that I had hired to do the production couldn't keep up. So then I would end up in the production side of it for a period of time trying to catch up. So there was this constant oscillation mm-hmm. of, you know, feast or famine. We had too much work to do, not enough work to do. And and it's really tough when you're small. So you've, yeah. you figured out how to, how to do it. But, uh, so let's take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to hear some of your stories about uh, what it's like to be an entrepreneur. All right. This is Mike Thornburg, president of Emblemax Corporation. We're a vertical decorator of t-shirts and promotional products. We create effective branding solutions and deliver them fast. Let your business speak for itself so people who see you today remember you tomorrow. Visit us at emblemax.com, E-M-B-L-E-M-A-X.com. Hey, we're back with Mike, uh, owner of Emblemax uh, in Chantilly. So, Mike, tell us, what is it like? Everybody always thinks as business owners that we're seated in the back office, we got our feet up on the desk, and and we're not really doing a lot of, of stuff. Tell us, what is it like from your perspective to be a small business owner? What is your life like? Well, the small business, obviously, as you know, well, um, it's it's all consuming. I mean, uh, I think as we get older, we start realizing the importance of spending more time with family. You never regret spending more time with your kids and, and your family. So uh, that's something we all learn. But in the realm of, a, of business, um, I've been hustling all my life. Um, and that's one of the detriments to growth of our, of our business. And you can, you can do a paper route. You could do a... Uh, you could do um, uh, a landscaping business. You can do a promotional products business, a screen printing and business, or real estate. You can hustle and be successful in almost anything in life, I've learned. It could be investments. It could be anything. And, but you reach a, you reach a plateau um, when you're constantly hustling that you can't scale. And, and that's been the challenge of my whole life. Um, when an employee has an issue and needs something, that's the most urgent thing. When a customer has a major issue, that's the most important thing. And right. And when you're hustling, you, you chase all those things and you're constantly keeping everybody happy and, and the urgent, you know, the, there's tons of books on, on, on you know, uh, books on this. But when you're ch- constantly chasing the urgent, it's very difficult to scale a business. And, mm-hmm. and I've been hustling my whole life and, and successful a lot of things. But th- my biggest challenge has been, been scaling. Yeah. And, and um, I've learned a few things that I'm still always learning and, and, and trying to get better at um, as far as like, scaling um one of the most important things i learned and i and i'm and, and it's unfortunately it's taken all the way to this pandemic to sort of teach me this even more when you have a little bit more time to reflect is um it's very important to create and communicate clarity to to the organization mm-hmm. and um that's something i hadn't been doing previously i've just been hailing things myself doing it and then you reach a ceiling because you never get anything done um and so you you I haven't had clarity and and I haven't communicated what we're doing as a company, which creates, which which helps create, if if you do that, you create alignment. Everybody's rowing Mm -hmm. the same direction. For Mm -hmm. example, this year in the pandemic, um, my focus was to pay every employee the entire time, even the hourly employees that work in our production that may average 35 to 38 hours a week. I paid them 40 hours every single week mm-hmm. of 2000 during the pan- 2020 during the pandemic. Right. And that was important to me. And um, it was kind of important that our, that our employees knew that's our goal. We're going to lose a lot of money last year. We're, you know, thinking this, right. we're going to lose a lot of money last year because some of our industries we work with are hurting. Some are doing great. Yeah. We see the broad spectrum of different businesses right. and, it, and it's sad and, and exciting all at the same point to watch some businesses booming, 
but some businesses are really hurting. Mm -hmm. um, but our goal was to, I wanted to pay all their employees and make them feel secure for the whole pandemic. Mm -hmm. And luckily we've done well enough the previous few years that we had some money in the bank to do that. Right. And um, I'm not sure that everybody appreciated that, but I think they do. I think the government was fighting us by handing out big checks for people that weren't working, right. which kind of had <laughs> some some tough effects on small businesses because I'm I'm fighting against the government to keep people employed, which was right. which was very difficult there for a while because I'd get pushback. Well, if I wasn't working, I'd be getting almost just as much, and right. and, and that was tough. So, um, did your folks work, or did you lose anybody? Did anybody? We uh, didn't really lose anybody during the pandemic. We didn't okay. actually. We didn't lose anybody during the pandemic. Right. Um, um, but I did get some pushback for some employees when the federal government started handing out was it six hundred dollars a week, yeah. or, and it's kind of like you know, all their, maybe some of their friends or other people were home doing nothing, collecting checks. Right. And they're having to come into work. They didn't, I didn't make, you know, during the pandemic, we, we ebbed and flowed how much we, we went for a couple people in a shift at a time, maybe two or three people would come in a day and we'd alternate who would come in, but they all got paid 40 hours a week, everybody, the right. full time. Um, but it was tough fighting, fighting the government. Right. You, you, you can't win. Right. Yeah. And so um, that was tough, but over time, they realized I'm still going to have a job, so that kind of went away. Yeah. Um, so I mean, that's, and that's one of the things too. And I think folks don't realize. And you know, you kind of have the same role that I had in my company, where mm -hmm. you're going out and you're meeting with the customers. You're on the front line with the customer. Mm -hmm. And when you sit down with the customer, they don't really want to hear. Yeah. Uh, now, actually, you don't even want to really share. Like, what are the real world problems you're yeah. dealing with back at your shop? So you got to go out and put on a happy face and and sit down and take orders and offer ideas. And you got to be creative and you got to bring things to the table that people are going to get. Get excited about buying and at the same time you're trying to hold your whole organization together yeah, uh, yeah. back in the shop so you know that's 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 definitely uh tough and now tell me about like vacations and things like that so when you were um you know starting out 2004 5 6 7 mm -hmm. how, how often did you take vacation how how what was your situation? It was there? tough, especially when I, in, in the first business, when you're really hustling. I, I, I left my first that sporting goods job and went into business for myself and you had a partner. Yeah. There's just a lot of pressure to keep going. We uh, That was in the 99 was the height of the, the dot-com bubble yeah. and bust. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, we yeah. actually did extremely well. As when, yeah. uh, we were actually, um, we did extremely well during that time frame. Yeah. Um, but it was a lot of pressure to keep going. And um, we didn't take, uh, we didn't take vacations. And when we did take vacations, my family, my wife and I, we would go somewhere kind of local. And um, I'd always be like, you know, joining them a day later. My wife, my wife had, a, had a daughter at the time. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, I'd join them a day later and, and, um, and I was always late to the vacation. So finally she wised up and said, hey, well, I'm, I'm booking a flight somewhere. So we're, you have to be on the flight. And so then it became uh, not joining them uh, you know, a day later, a car ride away, I'd, right. I'd have to be on the plane at a certain time. And the funny thing is I'd, I'd have to pull all-nighters that night before yeah. just to get that flight. I'd literally leave my office and meet them at the airport and fly off somewhere for a week. So that was, that was the only way she could get me away. Right. Um, Cause it's hard. I mean, I mean, you're responsible for everything and yeah. when you're bootstrapping and you're just getting started. I mean, it's all back on you. If you don't have the money to pay the bills and yeah, what do you do? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So, and you use the word hustle a lot. I think, I think I agree with that. I think there's probably a lot of younger folks out there that don't really realize, you know, what that means. But when you're starting a business and everything is on you, there's, there's a level of anxiety and there's excitement and there's like an adrenaline like pulsing through your veins, literally 24 hours a day, you probably wake up in the middle of the night sometimes, especially when you were starting with ideas and, oh, I can do this, I can do that. And and you want to, you know, you get back to your desk and you're working, but it just never, it, it never shuts down. I think anybody who has gone through what you've gone through or what I've gone through to start a business and get it off the ground and, and, and keep it running, you've got to put in that seven days a week uh, yeah, for yeah. years, yeah. right? And you kind of feel like it's never going to end, right? Don't you? you oh, know, yeah, yeah. In the, in and you get days. into that grind. And, yeah. and, and you, I think, care deeply 
uh, and I think everybody who's successful cares deeply about what they're doing, right? Mm -hmm. my, my doctor cares deeply about my health. I think you care deeply about your customers in real estate and in business. I care deeply about making sure that that my clients get the best service that I can that I can offer. And I think you've got a couple of great stories when when you just told me before we fired up the microphones um, about how life I mean, how your business interfered with your life uh, and you had to fly to Houston. So yeah. tell us tell us a little bit. And I guess I'm trying to paint a picture for the folks out there of what kind of sacrifices do you have to make if you want to be a successful business owner? Right. Yeah, what? Yeah. So you're at a barbecue mm -hmm. and uh, what's going on at your house? It's it's you, in the uh, 2007 or eight ish time frame. Right. Um, we're at a barbecue and, 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 uh, at your house and God bless my wife for, for hanging with me through all this <laughs> thing. She's amazing. She's like a, she's a software executive and she's like, you know, it's a whole different world yeah. that she lives in than I do as a small business owner. But, uh, uh, so we're at my house at a barbecue. I invite a couple of friends and uh, in the neighborhood over and one, yeah. the, one of the gentlemen coming over is it happens to be a chef. So it kind of worked out. Okay. So I'm just starting to grill some things on, on for a barbecue yeah. on so a Saturday, Saturday night. Saturday night yeah, yeah. Saturday night. And um, the guests get there, I and I get this phone call, and um, we had a client that that um, I'm not sure if they still do this, but they but they they're still around. But they they used to launch all the uh, the multi billionaires who'd pay twenty thirty million dollars to get in a, go on a rocket into space, and right. and when the the space program here kind of dwindled down a little bit during the 2000s, they, uh, a lot of these billionaires would go over to Russia and they launched these rockets out of Russia and, right. and um, they'd go into space and do their thing for, for a little while. Um, but so we had one, one uh, client that needed some patches for this, for this uh, multi-billionaire that, that was going into space. And um, they had ordered from another place. The patches are mostly made overseas in China and, yeah. and you can do them domestically, but they're very expensive and they take a long time because we don't have the the capacity in this country as they do over there and overseas. So uh, they they gave me like a week's, four days notice to get patches in because their other uh, supplier didn't come through. And I told them, it's gonna be tight. We're gonna, we have to get them over the volume you want, 500 patches with this big logo on it that's gonna go on the side of the space, flight suits. Yeah. Um, they gotta come over from China. They're gonna arrive in Houston on Saturday. That was the last day the, uh, the, the flight doctor that was headed over to Moscow, that's the last person from the U.S. to go over because they, right. they have to be in quarantine for two weeks. So once they're in quarantine, no one can be around them so they don't get sick or anything right. before they launch up into the rockets. So the flight doctor was leaving Houston on Saturday, and so those patches had to be there to his house so he could physically take them over to Moscow. Right. Um, so everything was good. UPS somehow didn't come through. The patches got stuck in the Houston distribution facility on a Saturday. And I get this phone call Saturday night. The patches didn't get there. Oh. And it was a client that did a, a fair amount of business with us, a, a pretty significant amount. Um, great client. But uh, it was they, they were desperate. I said, well, OK, the patches didn't get there. So we'll work on this on Monday. She goes, no, no, they have to like they have we have a person with a, a Moscow passport. We have to have the patches. I was like, well, do you have to have the patches or? Can you just get the patches a little bit later? But yeah. they were desperate, and um, so they basically had to have those patches. It on was Sunday, yeah, at the airport. They had to have yeah. them. Um, well, they just had to have them in Moscow as soon as possible because the uh, all the crew were going into quarantine in Moscow, right. probably that Monday or Tuesday. Gotcha. So they didn't have to have them over the weekend, but they had to get them there. Right. And, so and, you had so there was a person in Houston yeah. from this organization. With a Russian passport. No, no, they, oh. they sent somebody from the D.C. area with a Russian passport. I got you. down to Houston to, to meet, meet you. me because okay. I, I told him I. But wait a second, you were in Alexandria. In I your was backyard. in Alexandria, Virginia, right? And um, and and, and, and and taking a step back, the patches to these people they're spending millions and millions of dollars are a huge deal. Apparently, right. like they had to have these patches, and because uh, they're they hand them out to their comrades before they go into space on their mission. And it's just hugely important to them. So it means right. the world. So a couple dollar patch is not a couple dollar patch. And right. that's why we were doing all this. Right. Um, but so I head down to Houston. Um, they were the last tract in the distribution facility in Houston. 
I head down there. It's uh, so you sun- leave your barbecue. I leave my barbecue. And, sorry, and, and I hand, you get, I hand, hand the spatula over to the chef. To the- I was like, here, you're in charge of this. I'm out of here. I apologize. Nice right. knowing you. Right, no explanations yeah. to no. anybody really. You yeah. just like I gotta go. Yeah, I gotta go. Okay. My wife looks at me. She just knew. I, I, yeah. I, I, I had to go. Um, so I, I, uh, I felt. So you go to the airport. I go to the airport. Buy your ticket. ticket at the airport. Yeah. I fly out. Uh, uh, I fly out Sunday morning, like first thing as the first ticket I could get Sunday right. morning. Um, I get down to Houston uh, sometime in, in the evening. Yeah. And that Sunday night, it's um, 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 the UPS facilities is closed. There's no movement there at all. Right. That Sunday night, um, I was aware that the the the, the Packers and the and the and the distribution folks from UPS facility arrive at three in the morning at the at the Houston distribution facility to do their sorting. Before the, the so now we're trucks. 3 a.m. Monday morning. We're 3 a.m. Monday morning. I yeah. go to the Valero gas station. I'm just I'm, I'm walking around like a father waiting for a baby to be born. Yeah. To go over to the UPS facility <laughs> to find this box with these patches because I know it had been tracked there last, scanned, and yeah. I knew it was there. And I and I was fearful that the trucks, whatever that leave the UPS facility, would go out and I'd lose it. Yeah, so, but so hold on. So you're at the Valero gas station. Yeah. And who do you run into? So I run. So there's a, there's a few officers there just kind of police you know, officers police officers shooting right. the breeze and you knew you were potentially getting ready to I, I, commit a crime yeah i mentioned <laughs> i mentioned the gentleman's name who was flying into space yeah i showed told him his life story yeah i was like he's got 500 patches over there one mile away at that distribution facility right and, and you told him you, you, i'm going to get him and you may I, be getting a call I'm, you told I'm, the cops i told the police officers there i was like <laughs> look i i'm going over there I'm, I don't. I mean, I have to. You understand? I, I was. I'm desperate. I have to have these patches. Yeah. They were actually kind of helpful, and they said, "Well, one of them knew somebody that worked in the in the um, sorting." Yeah. And they said they they do get there like three three thirty in the morning to do their sorting. Right. Before the uh, the rest of the staff come in. Right. So even told me the time that the employees go in. So that was like great news. So I was yeah. like, sweet. I'm using this to go in the employee entrance like three o'clock in the morning. So I said, well, if you get a call or something, you know it's about. I have to have these patches. Once I have the patches, I don't care what happens to me. I just got to have these patches. Like, please, just. And so, um, you know, they were just kind of tongue in cheek. Yeah. So I had a rental car. I headed over to the UPS facility. It was like 3.30, 4 in the morning. Right. Um, I went in the employee entrance. Yeah. I told, I, they kind of see me in there. I don't have a badge or anything. Like, right. And the manager. What would you do with your car? You had a rental car. So I took the rental car. Actually, I was fearful that these trucks were going to leave and they might have my patches in this because the, the the customer was sending like a a person with a Moscow passport. They were on they're flying down to meet me, assuming I'm gonna track down these patches. Right. And so I I had to have these patches. Right. So I took the rental car and I blocked the exit where the tractor trailers leave. Right. I was just fearful. I don't know what would happen. Maybe <laughs> the, they were scanned there, maybe they're in this truck, maybe they yeah. leave. And so I blocked the uh, exit where the, the tractor trailers leave the sort to head out to the local distribution places or right. maybe head back to other places. So nobody can leave there. Nothing, the patches can't possibly leave there. <laughs> I was just so like this, I was going to heck these patches. And so I, uh, I head over in the facility. I, they, I start freaking them out. Finally, the manager was like, you got to get out of here. And I was like, well, can I come back and help look for the patches? Like I, you understand, I gotta, I told her the story. I was like, I gotta have these patches. I right. gotta have these patches. So she calls the police because I because I, I wouldn't leave. Right. They come over. Now, um, was it the same cops that were at the Valero? I, I didn't recognize any of the police uh, officers, but I think they had known about the story. So yeah. They must have talked. Yeah, yeah. I didn't. I didn't they recognize. Had radios. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't recognize any of the police officers that came over. Right. But they uh, they actually took me and said, "Sir, you're gonna have to like." They must have known the manager because yeah. they. they so you're going to have to leave this facility. They escorted me out, move your rental car, um, and and uh, and they didn't arrest me, but they escorted me, like with me, yeah. got me out of the facility, right? Made me move my car and exit the premises. The manager said, "I have your cell phone number. I'm going to call you as soon as we find these patches." Right. And I was like, "Please, please, please, just yeah, I'm 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 be sitting over there," and the police officer says, "Why don't you?" head over to that, you know, over to the gas station and wait for her call. And yeah, I was back like, okay. to the Valero. And then finally I got, yeah, finally, eventually it like 
six in the morning, they found him, and I opened up in front of the whole staff at UPS. It was like a, it was like a huge celebration. The way, and I, and, and open, I, I gotta tell you, open that box, making sure they weren't missed. You know the business, right? right? Yeah, making sure they weren't business. misprinted or something. Oh my God, that's a that's a whole other thing, right? I'm like, all oh, the wrong this, colors. Please, please have the spelling right and everything on here. Oh gosh. So we, uh, so I grab the patches and I head over to the airport yeah. in Houston and I meet the. Uh, the envoy that's yeah. headed, I hand them to him, yeah. escort him to the tarmac, yeah. watch his plane. But, but no, wait, wait, they, did they buy you a ticket? Right. So did, they bought me a, like back then. It was it was you're allowed to go through the ticketing. You can't even get on to the to the. I, actually, I think I bought the ticket um, to, to, to the flight to Moscow. To, yeah, to, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I just bought a ticket to get. I think it was a, I bought a cheap ticket somewhere yeah. to get on that concourse okay. so I could go with them and physically watch the plane take off, right. which I did through the window. That's dedication. Yeah, well, I just like you—you you don't go through all that to like you just have them get yeah have the, have the yeah. envoy miss the flight exactly right? or something. And that guy, <laughs> and as soon as he left, I called them and said, "Hey, he's he's taken off his flight." Yeah. Um, and so that was, and really, you you don't really get too much out of that, but I I made a client tremendously happy i mean they don't know the backstory of all yeah. the things they don't know they, they probably don't remember that they ordered them from somewhere else they didn't come through yeah. but they do remember how they feel when you do something right. for them like that right. and so i that, that person that that, that company is still a client today and, See, and, and, and and you know what and 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 how much did you charge them for all this extra service the patches were cut no, i didn't charge them anything i right. the patches were I can't remember at the time, but it was like a three to four dollar patch. Nothing. Right. So fifteen hundred dollars. Nothing. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you bought the plane ticket to get yeah. down there, the plane ticket to get back, and you went through, almost got yeah. arrested, yeah. and uh, bought another ticket to get to watch the patches get on the plane. But see, that's that's what it takes. Yeah, that's yeah. what it takes. People, people don't, don't for, people don't forget that either. Yeah, your your your, your client will never forget it. But mm -hmm. I think most folks out there that you run into every day don't realize what you're doing, right? Mm -hmm. And then you go back to work on, I guess you don't get back to work till Tuesday. And this was this big monumental deal to you, but now you just gotta go back and deal with people calling in sick and somebody wants Friday mm -hmm. off and, yeah, yeah. you know, but but that's what it is to be a business owner. It's a pretty amazing story. You should be really- uh, I mean, there's, 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 there's tons of those stories like that. I mean, yeah. I've had, I, when I first bought the business in 2000, the current business, Jam Graphics, when I bought that business, uh, about two years into our business as Emblemax, um, you know, I had an employee embezzling money. Like, and so, um, and in those situations, it's all of a sudden, it's like all the other employees come out with pitchforks. Yeah. And I was like, no, 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 no. We got to resolve this problem. And, and, and it turns yeah. out that employee eventually, um, they, they paid back all the money in its entirety. And that was more yeah. important, getting the money back than, right. than teaching this person a lesson. Right. You know, we had white collar crimes. It was yeah. it was everything. This person could have gone to jail for a long, long time. Yeah. And um, they didn't. I mean, the, but but they had they paid some consequences. But it wasn't about teaching teaching them a lesson. wasn't more important than taking care of our employees and getting yeah. the money back. Yeah. Because that's our employees' money and their raises and their bonuses and right. their things. Right. And that was the most important. And so we got through that situation as well. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. I remember that. That went on. It was and probably on and on. not too. It was probably the time frame of. Yeah. Of, of when we acquired um, yep. your business marketing. Exactly, yeah. exactly, exactly. Yeah. So so what other kinds of things uh, do you, well, I'll tell you what, let's take a quick break. And then uh, when we come back, I want to hear a couple more stories and uh, some, of the, some of the big uh, lessons you may have learned. Sure. A lot of folks think that building a custom home is a complicated and arduous process. It doesn't have to be. At Stanley Martin Custom Homes, we have the process down to a science. We will bring you through the buying, design, and building phase one step at a time. Head on over to webuildonyourlot.com and check us out. Reach out to us if you want to get started on the path to your very own Stanley Martin Custom Home. All right, we're back with uh, Mike Thornburg, Emblemax. So, Mike, let's talk a little bit about lessons uh, you've learned. And I think uh, w one of the things that you said you had a lot of uh, struggles with over the years is scaling. Yeah, so yeah. what are some of the things you've done to be able to scale? Because scaling, you are. Well, for so, sure. yeah. So, I, I mean, my whole life, just through different businesses, I, I've, you know, you find a way, right? So you're, you're, you're hustling your whole life. You figure it out. Yeah, you find a way, figure it out. Yeah. And I think that's 
the case for most entrepreneurs is you get going. And, and there's other folks that that do a lot better in scaling from the beginning. You know, there's folks that have never really gotten the trenches at a small business. They graduate with some credible degree and right. they're given venture capital money. And and that's a whole different realm that, that I've never experienced. Right. But so... Um, but scaling has been my biggest challenge because you want to kind of get things done and do things. And, and what I've learned is is the importance. And I kind of mentioned earlier was during the pandemic that we have a t- chance to take a step back. And and I'm constantly evolving and working on this. And I ha- I'm not there yet, but it's exciting the fact that I, I I've come to the realization what what I need to do to get there to scale our my business now. And, and we've done a good job, but 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 not a great job of scaling. And so, but the first thing I. I is, is most important is, is is to create and communicate clarity to our employees and get them all aligned in the same direction. And that that's the first thing. And, and the second, um, and I kind of touched on that briefly earlier, but but the second thing, and I kind of had this backwards, it's more important to, to assemble like an all-star cast before you start trying to create the system or, or to step the system to organize or the processes. Because if you if you start with the processes first, which I used to do, you end up doing everything yourself and nothing gets done. Right. And so that's what I kind of had backwards that it took me forever to learn. And if, I feel like I'm a work in progress every single day. We all are. Yeah. And yeah. and I and we have an incredible team where I am right now. And I'm trying more to embrace the the rock stars that we have. Right. And get them all on board and aligned and communicate clear and concisely what we're doing and then build our systems together. Right. And I just had it all backwards. I, I, I thought I had the answers. I thought I could work on the systems, the processes. And again, you never get anything done. So everything's in chaos. Right. And, and this is my evolution that I'm constantly going through. I'm going through now and I'm, but I'm extremely excited because I think I finally, you know, you're, you're, I've got one year experience 40 times, 40 years, right? Right. So, so it's just, I'm, I finally got it. I finally get it. And so this is what I'm, I'm working on. And as I watch other, we're, luckily we have hundreds and thousands of clients and um, not 100,000 clients, but hundreds or right. thousands <laughs> of clients. But, uh, but um, and it's wonderful watching all these different businesses scale. Yeah. And the one thing they have in common is they bring these all-star teams together and then they build the processes. Right. And um, I've had a, I've had one entrepreneur um, client of mine in the software related business that probably did five or six different businesses, and he sold two of his businesses for hundreds of millions of dollars. And it's just it's just amazing to watch um, some of our clients grow. And mm-hmm. you know, I had one one company that that did a, a wheel resurfacing that did start out with one truck that does wheel resurfacing like uh, metal wheels on cars, mm-hmm. aluminum wheels I guess you'd say. And now they have like 70. And so it's just wonderful to watch these businesses scale. Right. And um, and and the one thing they all have in common is they have a clear and concise like direction. They build their all-star teams and then they get the processes down. And when you do that out of order, um, that's when you're you spend your whole life hustling. Right. And that's what kind of yeah, I've and heard. I think, and I think, um, you know, it's it's interesting. One of the guys in my sphere that I talk to all the time, he says, if you have the right people, the processes don't really matter that much. Sure. And if you have, uh, you know, incapable people, the best processes in the world won't fix that. So, yeah, yeah you're right. It is. I think Jim Collins in his book, you know, built uh, built to last. That's kind of like the theme mm-hmm. of that book, and it's it's def- most definitely true. I mean, you need the you need the the rock stars, the A players first, right? Um, before you start, you know, working on those processes, right? So, what else? What else have you done to scale? Any um, other uh, tips for the folks that may be listening? I mean, those are the main things, and I think um, you, you got to understand your strengths and weaknesses. And 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 my strengths are, um, you know, my, I'm sorry, my weaknesses are. I, I'm I'm always chasing the shiny object. The, right. the latest urgent <laughs> thing was an employee matter, or or this or that. Yeah. I'm always chasing that, and if you have the all-stars in place, they keep you focused, they keep you in line. Um, um, and some of my, uh, I mean, some of my mentors in my life, or my, my father was my greatest mentor because he just worked hard. Right. And I learned a lot from from just hustling from him. Um, my other mentor would be my wife, actually. She runs a software, uh, a division of a software company of a $400 million budget she's right. in charge of and employees. And it's just amazing to watch her scale and her, her strengths are just complete opposite of mine. 
And it's just really interesting to watch these people, um, how they scale and, and how they do th approach things a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. one, one of the things I, you know, I, we're kind of off topic here of, 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 of scaling, but um, one of the things in business for me is, is, is helping other people. Right. Um, and, you know, we have, I have success stories. I have, I have employees that are from, I think we have four, maybe five continents covered of employees from different parts of the world. And it's amazing. Mm -hmm. And we do, I do, uh, you do job interviews for people. That's, that's normal. I have one employee that started with me in, I believe it was 2009, uh, paid $9 an hour, had no skill whatsoever, mm -hmm. but just a hard worker. Mm -hmm. He's still with me today. And this person you know, chasing the American dream, watching these people, helping these people. He just bought his first house two years ago. Wow. And the story with it, it's amazing to watch when you can help people like that. Yeah. It's, it's more empowering and, 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 and better than anything I could ever do for myself. Right. And, um, and this individual, the funny story about this individual, I got a call one day about, uh, six or seven years ago and I was getting interviewed by his prospective bride's family. <laughs> kind of guy this way. I'm, I'm used to I'm used to employee interviews, but here I, here I am getting interviewed by his perspective in their culture. You yeah. know, they have to interview to see if their the daughter of the family is a good fit for this person. Right. So right. Did he, he at least warn you you were going to get yeah, that he phone did. call? He, well, because he's, he's from Bangladesh. Yeah. And, um, and uh, it, it was it was it's a, it's a role reversal. I'm used to right. like interviewing employees for jobs, yeah. but I, I wasn't uh, you know I, talking about him in relation to is he good for some bride? Is like yeah. I, you know it's, it, that was very interesting. But he yeah. he gave me a forewarning, and and um, it was um, it was very interesting. How like you know you you're, you're you have a father, a brother calling about their daughter, their their sibling, yeah, and their was it just one call or two separate calls? Um, there was different there was different calls. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And so they're very protective of their. Yeah. They're their, not joking around. No, no, and um, yeah. you feel responsible for that. That right. that changes how you look at your your employee. Like I I, be, I became his family member at that right. point. Like because I'm I'm standing up for him as a as a great person chasing the American dream. Yeah. And is he good for this <laughs> this? I, I have no idea, but he's a great person. <laughs> right. And so it's it was very interesting. But you know, and that's one of the amazing. And and I'll tell you, Michael. Mike, sorry. It's I'll tell you, Mike. This is one of the main reasons I wanted to do this podcast. This yeah. is my. You asked me before we started recording. Why do you want to do this? And I think the big big driver for me is stories like that. And and I said it yesterday uh, during uh, during. A session we were recording everybody's got a story and when you're it's especially when you're in the dc metro area you know we have so many cultures and so many people from all over the world mm -hmm. and you learn so much about all the i did not even know that that was a thing that mm -hmm. you would call and and uh and and check up on a potential spouse yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. uh in in a in a culture so that's that's uh it's it was really eye opening amazing. and it's yeah it, i felt i felt honored i mean yeah. wow this is this is this person's life and so that was yeah that was amazing but it's the, but see those those are the things that people don't realize you know when you own a business and you're out there on the front line and you're providing service and you're interacting with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people every year the 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 experiences and the stories you get and the situations and the things you learn from people is just mind-boggling oh, you yeah. know and it's oh, yeah. uh it's it's really amazing so any last thoughts you have about uh or any final words of wisdom you may have to a young uh mike thornberg out there who's thinking uh i, I might want to start my own business or i want to be an entrepreneur and and before you answer that i want to i want to say um you know, it seems like the world is really different today. I don't run into a lot of people who are out there use the word hustling a lot. Mm -hmm. And really hustling is really just working 18 hours a day, seven days a week and trying to make the best of every minute of every day and really being focused and, and driven. Are, you know, you're you're in the marketing business. Are you running into young people that are working like you used to work and like I used to work? Are you running into that or is it? Yes, I am. And the reason why I use that term is because the successful and the great thing is in our business, I get this touch and we touch in the real estate business. We have, we have real estate agent clients. We have right. mortgage bankers. We have right. uh, settlement firms. We have tons of clients in, in every arena you can imagine. And, and it's wonderful to, you have, you're, you're on the pulse of what's working in those industries. Yeah. But the most successful businesses that we've worked with in the last number of years, and I use the word hustling because we're watching those folks. Mm -hmm. It's, it's the, 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 the gentleman who had the company that, that started uh, from one truck 
resurfacing wheels yeah. to like 75 or uh, a gentleman who came in one day and was going to do, you know, in a t-shirt business where, you know, it's probably 50% of our business is, isn't t-shirt related and marketing stuff as well. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a gentleman that came in uh, about six or seven years ago and he wanted to start a t-shirt line. Well, we get about five or seven phone calls per week of somebody's going to tar- start a t-shirt line. Right. And it, I mean, it's, I mean, and I, I warn them like, you know, it's, it's all about the marketing. Like anybody can print a t-shirt, this or that. Mm-hmm. It's about marketing, what you're going to do with it. And um, this gentleman um, really was like using social media, digital marketing and really hustling. I use the word hustling again yeah. because you watch him every yeah. single day. He's posting on Instagram and everything and, and really marketing his product. And for a certain target audience, and he's built his uh, brand. Um, um, he, he takes up about 1,000 to 1,500 square foot of one of our warehouses of just his T-shirts now. He's, wow. he has, it's a DC-centric product he sells um, with, 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 with uh, stuff related to the DC market mm-hmm. and area. Mm-hmm. And um, he's doing tremendously well. And it's just wonderful watching him, um, you know, use the word hustle again. Right. He might, during the pandemic, he might need you know, 2,500 masks for a thing. And, and luckily he's connected to our facility where we do the production, where we can, we can produce 10,000 t-shirts a day right. easily. And, and so he has that resource, but, but he, um, he started in the early days and, and started marketing his product and everything has done tremendously well. And so watching these small businesses, the ones that are successful are the ones that are out there. I, I hate using that term again, mm-hmm. but they're hustling. But no, 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 it's not a, a bad a, term. I just eventually think you I, have to be able to scale. And yeah. so it, you can't do it all yourself. Yeah, yeah. And that's where you're, your star players come in. Yeah. So what is your advice to the young entrepreneur today that wants to go out and start a company today or started, or they've started in the last year or two? Do you have any words of wisdom for well, them? Unless you have, you're going to get some venture capital, some mega millions thrown your way and, <laughs> and create a SPAC or something, or yeah. you're going to have a SPAC come, come and save you, which I don't know anything about that realm. As an investor, I, I'm familiar with it. But, right. But I mean, all I've ever known is old school grit, grind, and work. And hustle. Bootstrap. And you do it yourself. And I know, John, watching you amongst many of your businesses, you've been successful at every single one. And and, and the recurring theme is you got to get out there and do it. I mean, it's a lifestyle. It's um, you got to live and breathe it and you got to love it. And if you love it, you never work. I've never worked a day in my life. I, I print T-shirts or I have people that print T-shirts right. for a day. Like, right. like you know, I mean, that's, that's crazy. I mean, yeah. <laughs> that'll work. Are you kidding? I mean, the work part of it is you work dealing yeah. with the, you know, the employees and the issues and things like that. But like, I mean, I get to come in and we have clients across the board, like the biggest banks to the real estate. For, like, I mean, our client base, we have, you know, we have five universities that we do all their marketing um, of their uniforms and things that come in from Nike or Under Armour. We print them yeah. and send them back. And, but, um, the biggest thing is like you got to do something that you love, mm-hmm. and and I didn't realize that I love this T-shirt business until it reverted back to my childhood. That's what I grew up in, printing right. T-shirts for my dad. Yeah, and um and so I, that's what I've been doing now because I didn't realize I love it because I tried you know entering the financial world, which mm-hmm. I enjoy helping people um, plan for their financial future. But um, you do something you love. You never worked a day in your life, right? And so that's the biggest thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I advice I'd give to to young entrepreneurs out there, find something you love or something you're good at. Right. And 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 if they if you can find both, you're set. Yep. That's yeah. great. And I would just add, just like you weren't gonna let anything get in between yeah. you and getting those patches yeah. on that plane yeah. to Moscow. Yeah. I would say to the young folks out there, don't let anything get in between you and your success. Oh yeah. Nothing. The American dream is alive and well. If it you is. want it, just go get it. Yeah. Excellent. Mike Thornburg, Emblemax, thank you for coming in today. Thank you, John, for having me. All right. Hey, Mike Thornburg, thank you so much for coming in. A lot of great stories and information there. We appreciate it. If you want to learn more about Mike and his company, Emblemax, you can find them at emblemax.com, E-M-B-L-E-M-A-X.com. Go out and build something extraordinary.